I want to talk about perfectionism. Perfectionism is something that I think I believed affected me more um, in my teenage years than it did later on in life. Um, but really, uh, my relationship with the word perfect uh, shifted focus from imperfections, um, or sorry, uh, my focus switched from perfectionism to imperfections. And this is something that became more apparent to me when um, I met my wife and realized that um, I had gotten really, really good at letting go of perfectionism. Um, but my idea of perfect was more about addressing imperfections as bad things, um, which I think we can all relate to, especially those that would consider themselves perfectionistic. Um, but my focus was a lot less on how I was perfect. And I was taught in my mid-teenage years that um, there is no way to actually be perfect um, on an absolute or a personal level. And that didn't really come with a lesson on, you know, you're imperfect, you're imperfect, you're like, it's just kind of, it was a given, like, you know, you're an imperfect being, which is a relief for some. But what's interesting is, is it makes a lot of sense. But in the long run, it becomes a self detriment mindset. Uh, because you see imperfections as bad, but you yourself are imperfect. So therefore, through cause and effect, you yourself are a bad person for being an imperfect being. And usually this comes with, you know, some sort of forgiveness path that has to do with constantly working on very subjective imperfections that um, I was never in direct control of defining. It was about conformity, and that was something that I truly believed was defined by somebody better than me, um, my definition of God at that time. But eventually I started to realize a couple of years before I met my wife that um, if I wasn't getting these answers directly from God face-to-face, -face, defining them through direct inspiration and revelation of my God, then really I'm trusting a chain of trust um, that goes beyond anyone alive today to verify um, on an interpersonal level that, you know, these things are true. And it's, it's realizing that it's a deferred trust model. And whether or not, you know, 
you can relate to this and you practice a deferred trust model, whether or not it's religious, whether or not it's spiritual, whether or not it is, you know, political in nature or, you know, even just, you know, a family thing. I started to realize, like, I was not defining my reality. I had so many good reasons to believe in other people. And then I realized that I was just as in control and out of control as everyone else around me. And coming to terms with that, it made me realize that, you know, we're all perfect in our own personal way. And imperfections are just a belief. They're a belief like any other delusion, any other vision, any other, you know, idea that doesn't exist. That could be inspiration or self-detriment. All of these things are different types of beliefs. And I started to realize that, you know, imperfections don't actually exist. They're very, they're absolutely subjective in nature. And unless we are the one defining our imperfections, we're giving up a lot of power to other people if those imperfections are about us. And I found that more often than not, I would contradict myself because I desperately didn't want to have imperfections, but because I was judging myself for having imperfections, I wasn't able to let go of the imperfections. So instead of just judging myself all the time, I would judge other people who would refuse to work on their imperfections the way I worked on my imperfections, not even if it was just that they refused to work on them at all. Those are people I would dismiss completely as insane. But the people who even worked on them differently than me were not just as bad as me, but even considerably worse. And I saw this demonization of other people's imperfections creating divides in my life, not just in people I would meet and strangers, but close friends and family. And this started to cave in on me after years of this. And I realized that I was not alone in this. Uh, everyone around me in my culture was experiencing this too. And then I was addressed with the reality with my wife that she was, uh, not as obsessed with imperfections as I was. She was more obsessed with perfectionism. And that was quite quite astounding to me that, you know, I had known several other perfectionistic people in my life, but they also shared the hatred for imperfections, the self-loathing for imperfections. And she had an interesting relationship with imperfections as it was a perfectionistic idea of what could be accomplished. So really the only imperfections in her mind were on a 
a failure to execute, which was quite interesting. She was much better at doing and taking risks than almost anyone I had met. Uh, And that was quite interesting because her knowledge was gained on the job, so to say, in the areas that she became very, very exceedingly talented at. And I started to realize more and more that, you know, it's not the, you know, it's either or. You know, perfectionism is bad and imperfections are bad in the concept, the concept itself. And it's it's not bad because, you know, it can't be justified to be, you know, a right thing to believe in. It's It's bad because it provides bad results in context, in the long run. Both perfectionism and its counterpart, imperfections, which is its belief system. Perfectionism is a cult-like belief, and imperfections are its worship style, so to say. And it's whether or not they manifest like they do for my wife or for me with perfectionism and imperfection it's all two it's two sides of the same coin perfectionism is one side of the coin and imperfection belief in imperfections existing is on the other side of the coin whereas if you don't have a belief in imperfections you are a perfect being that constantly wants to be better And I've heard this explained very, very intelligently why this is how, you know, imperfections and, you know, it it really works in with that and that's the goal. No, it, it doesn't work towards the goal. It's a distraction. It's an overcomplication of a very simple truth. We are perfect beings trying to become more perfect. Is that simple. It defies many, many collective reasonings, which in themselves are illogical. They hold on to a logical paradox as an absolute belief, but it's a paradox. It's a, it's a rabbit hole that, you know, doesn't actually provide results. It's, it's a rabbit hole that they want you to keep changing because imperfections are not a positive paradox. Like, Love and hope, they're a very negative paradox, like, you know, hatred and fear. And this is one of these things where we have to become aware of the duality of paradoxes and the paradoxes of extreme duality, extreme dualism. And... uh I think that the more we explore what perfect is to us personally, realize that we live in a world where most people only think of things or people as either private or public. But we also have a personal level when it comes to how to define property or ownership or control of something, there's actually three ways to define it. There's private property, there's public property, and there's personal property. And when you're talking about your thoughts, your beliefs, 
realize that this is your personal property, meaning that if you are in control of your own personal property, your own thoughts and beliefs, it's not like private property. You can you can alter it and do with it what you like as personal property. It's something that you adopt. You don't own like you know like a dog. You don't own a dog like a slave. It stays with you voluntarily and if it you know if it runs away and doesn't want to come back, it will you know it will do so. But if it's loyal to you, it will stay. And this is how you know, we need to think of beliefs as they're not somebody else's private property. They're not even God's private property. Your beliefs are your own. And realize that, you know, personal property isn't yours exclusively. Meaning that, you know, your dog and your wife and your, you know, your boyfriend or your children aren't your private property. You don't own them. They are not your slave. They are more than allowed to, you know, partake of other people's attention, uh, partake of other people's contribution in their lives. And that is what personal property is to us. But many people treat beliefs like they are private property that they get to partake of and they can't change or alter or make personal their own to, you know, add value to these beliefs, then really they don't own their beliefs. Their beliefs are owned. And that is something that I've learned more and more is a very, very controversial idea to the point where most people can't even think about it. They just have to believe that it's a belief and it's, you know, my personal belief, regardless of whether or not I choose to believe that. And thus, the cognitive dissonance spell, you know, infects their mind. Not a necessarily a magic spell, but, you know, a lot of people look at psychology and the science of the mind as magic. So, you know, maybe, maybe in a way it could be argued to be magic, but that's not how I meant it in that moment. All I know is that letting go of perfectionism and this horribly abstract concept of imperfections has brought me so much inner peace and has helped me become an honest person, a kind person, a loving person, let go of, you know, justifying dishonesty through being nice. And it's uh, helped me to let go of anger, resentment, and bitterness, which, needless to say, many of the people that um, are involved with things that I'm being more honest about, um, have no option to believe that, you know, this in itself is bitterness and resentment and anger towards their personal beliefs, which is not even the case. We're all 
allowed to have our own personal beliefs. We're even allowed to explore other people's personal beliefs, understand its validity to them personally, and we don't even need to reject their ideas and their concepts absolutely to understand them and not want to adopt them. Life is for experiences, not not for knowing. Knowing in itself is a belief. Knowledge is a belief. Knowledge is how we define beliefs that are so personally true that we consider them truths. But the fact of the matter is, is if somebody else lives a lifestyle that we think is crazy and it works for them, even if it doesn't work for them, it doesn't make it any less true than our reality on a personal level. But if we look at things in a perfectionistic way, in the ideology of perfectionism, there is only absolute truth. And absolute truth is based on knowledge. It's, you know, an egotistical reality in itself. And, you know, this is the allure of the logic of duality pushed to an extreme of the ego with what I call extreme duality. And on the flip side, you know, there's extreme paradox and the perfectionism can infect the paradoxical mindset too, where it gets to the point where they want to believe that nothing matters. It's nihilistic and maybe even positive nihilism that comes out as uh, and uh, I guess it would be the superego, as Freud would put it, uh, where they have certainly tackled their ego and are going into, you know, full submission under their superego. And what's interesting is, is with the superego... One would think, as Freud describes it, not necessarily that I even subscribe to his psychological ideology, but for lack of better terms, uh, the, the succumbing to the superego's control um, may be less tyrannical uh, than the control of somebody under the submission of the ego that may need to listen to their superego more. Somebody who is under complete control of their superego um, is really, you know, they they get to the point where it's explaining what is right and not giving people the chance to ask questions, where it's a balance of, you know, the indifference of the ego and the charitable mindset of the superego. Um, I prefer Jung's um, explanation on these sort of things, but that is 
beyond abstract for most people. It's so subjective, it makes them uncomfortable. So it's easier just to explain with Freudian terminology. Um, and what's interesting is, is bringing up Freud and Jung is um, after their time in psychological stardom came Daniel Kahneman and Amos Traversky, who really putting the ego aside invented heuristics, which was very unpopular in psychology when they first came out with it, because it's essentially uh, introducing a framework that's not unlike, you know, religion had professed for thousands of years, and even Stoicism, and it's really learning to question your personal reality to become more perfect. And they invented heuristics or I guess rediscovered and branded these principles in psychology as heuristics and essentially gave us a framework for the psyche to ask it better questions and actually help any individual ask better questions once we're aware of the questions that are important to ask to help us make better decisions and better choices in our lives. And, you know, it was quite interesting to realize that these are what heuristics were and um, stumbling upon them in my own life more and more through awareness, I started to recognize that I was becoming aware through a heuristical process after gaining more clarity on what heuristics were, this is what I was doing and having a hard time explaining, and this is what heuristics were. I, I love a book called The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis about Daniel Kahneman and Amos Traversky and their, you know, collective stories and what they did to help the world think differently. And, uh, man, they changed the way we think. And it was quite fascinating. And it's been an interesting road heuristics has taken of unpopularity and being used for the sake alone that it's highly, highly effective. Um, but a very unpopular idea because it's it uh, definitely tests the human's ego and superego, which... <laughs> is, uh, I guess, very Jungian in nature. Um, so, uh, perfectionism and imperfections uh, don't exist unless you believe in them. And that can be a freeing route for you to become a better, perfect version of yourself. Um, and just live in the now. And be able to let go of regrets, let go of fears, let go of anxieties, let go of worries of the future, let go of anxious thoughts of the future, and just be in the now. And I don't think that there is, you know, any ism that doesn't fall into a temptation of absolutism anymore and
perfectionism is a great example of how it is completely corrupted by absolutism. But, you know, don't believe me. Don't take my word for it. Just do it for a while. If it provides better results, great. If, you know, for whatever reason, it's not your thing, that's great too. But uh, when it comes down to what I've personally experienced, I know that knowing the right way to do things has not provided nearly as consistent of positive results for me personally as letting go. Because in a world where it is so easy to know, sometimes we forget to let go. Thank you.